Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by Media Clip, Advertech Printing, and IP Labs. Hello again, and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. I'm your host, Gary Peugeot, and today we're joined by Roy Osing, who is an entrepreneur with 40 years of experience, and Roy is coming to us from Vancouver today. Hi, Roy. How are you today? I'm fine, Gary. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So you have a long history as an entrepreneur who has built up to a major multi-billion dollar company, right? So tell us a little bit about that journey before we get into our topic of the basic business principles you need to do to stand out from the crowd. Yeah, so I guess my story um, goes back a long way when I, I joined the telecom industry early on mm-hmm. and um, observed that um, as we were going through pretty substantial changes, that we had some major challenges about how to win in a competitive environment and be relevant to customers. And so this whole notion of be different or be dead, which is kind of like my mantra, started then. And I started a journey to, to figure out how to be different in literally everything I could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would like kind of did strategic meandering around and up the organization until they finally, I guess, got tired of me doing that and asked me to to take over the president's role of of this data and internet company when the internet was just just getting going. Mm-hmm. And so I took that uh, challenge. And uh, yeah, we we just had a, it was a ride, man. It was a fast growing market. We did some simple fundamental things that resonated and lit fires. What, what was the time parts. frame there? Was that dial up era or post dial? Oh, yeah, or? I mean, one and a half megabit bits was super fast. I mean, you know, <laughs> I still got a hearing problem from from that that feedback, right? That you get with dial up, but but we knew that that the potential was huge, and so. We set upon this journey that in retrospect was quite amazing to me and, and the people that I worked with. And I get goosebumps when I think we got a billion in annual sales. That Today, that business is $18 billion a year. Okay. And I like to think that my team uh, had a little bit to do with it. So were you with that company your entire career or what was the... Yeah. Yeah, I was actually. Uh, and, you know, my kids would say, Dad, what on earth are you continuing to work for that communications company for so long? And I said, well, easy. It may be one employer, but it's a big company with with super opportunities all over the place. So right. it wasn't a single kind of like a silo employer. Right. And I had opportunities to do everything in operations and marketing and sales. And I mean, about the only thing I didn't do because I didn't want to was was finance, mm-hmm. although I practiced obviously finance in 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 the, the leadership roles I had. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one of the things entrepreneurs kind of struggle with is uh can you be an entrepreneur in a big company? Right. Yeah, and well, I tell people, yes, you can do that all the time if the company <laughs> lets you. Right. Well, I would go a step further. You can do it irrespective of what the company wants you to do or not. There's always right. ways. Look at it's easy to say I couldn't succeed because they wouldn't let me. Okay, right. it's easy to say that, Gary, and it's nothing but a freaking cop out, in my view. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you you realize the pushback I got trying to be different in a telecom world that was highly unionized, very set in his ways, and yet here we have this internet opportunity that required us to do things differently, sitting in a traditional culture. Okay, so that was hard. That required us to be innovative and creative and entrepreneurial in spite of everybody else. And right. we did it. Okay, but you have to like pain, 
I learned that pain indeed is a strategic concept. And unless you understand that and have it, you can't be an entrepreneur. So mm -hmm. I resent the implication when people tell me, well, I can't do it because they won't let me. And I just keep, I just say, well, clearly you're not wanting it enough and you're not looking hard enough mm -hmm. and you're not trying enough. So get over yourself and get out there and do something. Mm -hmm. And when reading through your material, the word audacious keeps coming up. How do you define that in terms of, you know, kind of differentiating a mainstream everyday business and an audacious business? Yeah. Well, audacious, of course, you know, is is uh, connotes and is defined in, with such words as as courageousness, mm -hmm. as boldness, mm -hmm. right? As as uh, astonishing. I, the the whole notion of the word for me is getting out of the box and creating a new box, and you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you cannot be innovative and creative if you're playing inside the same box you've got, because then mm -hmm. you end up horribly difficult competition, mm -hmm. and you end up basically copying what everybody else does. So audaciousness, mm -hmm. okay, running through your veins, in my view, uh, drives you to be uh, standing out, drives you to be different, drives you to innovate and create, without which, um, in my experience, you just can't do that. Now, mm -hmm. if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to be an entrepreneur that that's that's busting the edge and and creating new stuff and new value for people, that's okay. You don't right. have to be audacious. But for me, it was a prerequisite. It energized me. It's mm -hmm. running through my veins. It forces me all the time to look for opportunities to step out, be different from the herd, and get on with it. Mm -hmm. So can you give us an example of something audacious or out of the box you did at this at the company that you saw was needed to, you know, lift their business? Like you said, it's a very mainstream sort of I wouldn't say routine business, but it it kind of is. You know, it builds infrastructure and it sells access to that infrastructure, right? I mean, that that's kind of what a telecom company does. So what would be an example of well, where you had to look at something and say, we're going to shake this up and we're going to get better results because of it? Well, that's part of the problem. I mean, engineering dominated businesses are really hard to move off that. Yeah. And yet that's what we had to do. So we had to figure out how to make this a customer driven company. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so literally, I mean, it's not one thing here is a point I want to make. If you mm -hmm. if you want to be successful, you have to do a lot of little things. Right. Okay. And you got to persevere at that. And so the, the kinds of things that that uh, that we we uh did were things that appeal to really the execution side of the house. Sure. Okay. So performance doesn't come from the plan, it comes from executing the plan. And so my whole world is around how can I get people bought in and passionate about execution. Well, one of the things that I did, silly little things, okay, we could talk, we could have 16 hours of this, but a silly little thing was what I call cleanse the inside. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds mundane and it is, except that it's exceedingly powerful in terms of driving performance. Cleansing the inside of the organization was meant to get rid of the friction. If mm -hmm. I could get rid of the friction inside the organization, performance would go up and we'd get closer to the billion. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, okay, friction points, dumb mm -hmm. rules that customers hate. Okay, there's not an organization out there that doesn't have a rule that pisses their customers off. And yet, we say no all the time to them. We push the policy, we push the procedure, etc. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me that we needed to kill those things 
and sure. get, you know, increase the viscosity inside the organization and get things running smoothly. So I introduced this whole notion of killing dumb rules. I had dumb rules committees all over the organization and realized this organization was nine or 10,000 people. It was not a small organization. And the purpose of the dumb rules committee was to identify things, didn't make any sense to customers and help us get rid of them. If we couldn't get rid of them, we'd change them to at least make them customer friendly because, you know, there's probably some around that satisfy legal requirements that you can't eliminate, but you sure as heck can morph them into something. Mm -hmm. And so we had the, we had competitions. We had, we had, we celebrated dumb rules champions, mm -hmm. a simple little thing like that. And guess what? We eliminated the friction going on between us and the customer that led us to what, what I call a say yes culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause that was a drive say yes. Okay, remember, this was an engineering dominated, uh, you know, internal audit related company. Right. So when Roy starts talking about getting rid of friction and saying yes and looking for opportunities to say yes and not no, I mean, right. what the hell? That was that was an incredible change. What are you thinking? And of course, pushback ensued, et cetera. Mm, so the sure. dumb rules piece was huge, but it was just one of many. And you know what happened? People loved it. Mm -hmm. People absolutely loved it. We made it easier for them to do their jobs. Now, this is not rocket science because mm -hmm. they have been telling us for years that we had rules that didn't make any sense to customers. Please right. change them. Well, guess what? Nobody listened except right. Roy. When Roy started listening, things started happening and performance went through the roof. That is that just, because the engineering mindset is, you know, we're going to build something, we're going to put it in place. And if it's broke, don't fix it. Yeah, well, en engineering is kind of a supply-oriented function. It's not a demand-oriented function. Okay. So we're going into a world where demand and all the the intricacies and dimensions of demand we're gonna we're gonna really dic dictate our future. Mm -hmm. So we had to figure that out. So the engineering guys were were a little put off because that industry had always been engineering dominated. And look at. That was important, incredibly important, and it's still incredibly important, sure. okay? It's just that the roles, okay, are changing, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's a function of the environment. And so when you go from a monopoly into a competitive world, you had better take care of the demand side of the equation. And that's basically, my conclusion was in order to do that, I've got to have the operations part of this company humming. It's got to be absolutely humming. If it's not humming, we'll never drive performance and we won't drive revenues towards a billion. So how are you measuring the success of getting rid of these dumb rules? Was it signups? Was it sales? Was it customer feedback? What was the what was the 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 metric you were using? If if or if there were more than one, what were the top two or three? No, no, it's a it's a great question. And the first thing I will say is I have no idea whether that specific program, okay, right. worked in and of itself because I did not do uh, correlation analyses on each and everything. Everybody does that. Mm. It's a waste of time. What mm. I did is I looked at at my top line revenue and said, okay, am I meeting my targets? Mm. Am I getting the growth? Good. That means in total things are working. Now, does it mean that 10% of that was due to dumb rules? I have no idea. And I would right. never try and figure that out. But what I do know is every employee survey that we did showed engagement was going through the roof. Every customer service survey we did show I was dazzling people. 
Mm-hmm. People were surprised and amazed with the fact that we were trying to say yes, Gary. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't say yes to everything. Right. You can't we do that. said yes three times more today than we did yesterday. And people mm-hmm. could see that. They could feel that because people buy on the basis of passion and feelings. They don't buy on the basis of intellect whatsoever, at least mm-hmm. in my experience. And so we tried not to complicate this. Right. If top line was going, my conclusion was we're doing the right things. So let's keep pouring it, pouring it, pouring it. Mm-hmm. If something, if a pinch point showed itself, then we'd look at the pinch point, and make some things. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't get all tied up in detailed uh, mm-hmm. causation analysis, even though I would like to, because my my degree is in mathematics. So mm-hmm. I would have I would have thought that was cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't do it. So did this process lead you also into like new product development, where Pete, you were getting some again, you were reducing friction, maybe. They weren't engineering products per se, but maybe there was a a package or a bundle or something like that that it was led that it led to that also spurred growth. Yeah, um, I think the first objective that we had was was to to be able to create what I call gasp worthy experiences for mm. people, because my logic was if they were feeling good about us, they're going to keep doing business with us somehow. Okay, sure. and so the doing business with us then said, all right, what are the unsatisfied parts of the business? Like products and services, in my view, are dissatisfiers. In other words, people expect you to have a a robust portfolio of products. That's why you're in business. They expect those products to work. If you sell them a six megabit or gigabit internet service, they expect that puppy to be up 24-7, 365. And when it is, they don't actually give you a call and say, Roy, that was the most amazing internet stream I've ever had in my life. Right. They don't do that because they just expect it. But what right. they will do is if if they've enjoyed doing business with you, if they've loved dealing with your people, okay, that's what they remember, okay? That's what creates loyalty. So mm-hmm. my, my priority was get the products working, okay? There's absolutely no rocket science, okay, in the kinds of technical capabilities we have coming up in the internet. Make sure we're in front. Okay, or at least the, with the crowd up up on top, and then we're going to go out to service experience, and that's going to be our our differentiation strategy. And it worked. Okay, mm-hmm. we had all the services, but we didn't compete on those services. We competed on the the other things that that wrapped around the services, right? Like the experience. You mentioned uh, packages. That's a great lead in. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that we did do. Mm-hmm. Okay, and because okay. you know we hated bundles. Bundles are just a, a you know. A, a dishonest person's way of passing on lower prices. That's all that is. It's but, a drawer full of crap. But it's absolute crap, but value-based bundles. Okay. Cause I'm a premium price guy. I want to look for ways to get the price up, not the price down. Exactly. And adding value to that. We got some great ideas from dealing with customers in those moments. Okay. Where they were doing business with us and we fed them into marketing and we did a lot of trials and we recognized the customer's contribution and specific names, et cetera. It was a ball. We, we had a good time. So did this lead you into new and different markets like like retail stores or anything like that? Or is that just to improve that? Or, you know, I'm just saying I'm trying to get a grasp on where this process can lead you, because what happens, I think, with a lot of companies that are especially come with an engineering base is they tend to tend to want to refine, refine, refine. And perhaps not grow, grow, grow. Well, I guess what I'm saying is the strategy we've been talking about led to grow, grow, grow. 
Right. It was because the retention piece was so strong mm-hmm. and the referral piece was so strong that it really didn't matter what the hell we were offering in terms sure. of a of an engineering defined product. They trusted us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we created this uh, this uh, this campaign called the Future is Friendly. Mm-hmm. My company, by the way, was Telus, mm-hmm. uh, national telecom company in Canada. Yeah. The fu- Future is Friendly. That campaign I introduced in 2002, and it's still here, 21 mm-hmm. years later. And all it is, is a campaign based on saying to you, uh, customer, I know technology is changing on, on you fast and, and, it, and it may be disconcerting, but mm-hmm. don't worry. We're going to take the, the angst of that away and we're going to help you through it. We're going to give you the, the absolute premium kinds of services. We'll help you understand them. We'll help you get the benefits from them. We're here for you. Boom. Mm-hmm. That's all it took. Look at people think growing a business is complicated. Mm-hmm. It's complicated because there are there are sort of narratives out there promulgating tactical stuff, mm-hmm. okay, that quite frankly needs to be looked at in that perspective. Mm-hmm. If you're in the business of creating magical experiences, then you're on the right track. Now, then the objective is to feed everything underneath that within that context. But if you choose to be a product flogger, you're in trouble mm-hmm. because everybody else is doing the same thing. You're going to be competing on price. Right. Your margins are going to go down the tubes and your customers will not be loyal to you mm-hmm. because everybody's in the product flogging business. So reframe the business, guys. Mm-hmm. Look for ways to be different. Look at the experience. Mm-hmm. Look at being the only one that does what you do. Right. And by the way, that was another innovation that I came up with. Sure. Uh, that, that not just then, but written right now when I work with clients is absolutely amazing. It says, don't try and be better. Don't try and be the best. Don't try and be number one. Don't try and be market leader. Because basically, when you declare that, it's all BS. Right. It's all BS. It doesn't mean anything. So I came up with this notion called the only statement. And it says, what you really want to be is you want to be the only one that does what you do. Only. It's binary. It can be observed. It can be measured. You want to be the only one that does what you do. One of the biggest problems with small business and entrepreneurs is they don't think that through. They enter the marketplace flogging products, which are basically not any different, and they don't think through this notion of differentiation and how Mm -hmm. to be the only ones that do what they do. And I do a lot of work with small companies on that, and it's just amazing when they Mm -hmm. catch on to that. Just freaking delightful. What is this? the biggest like the surprise when you said you work with a company you consult with a company and you said you know it was a big surprise when they got it what was the thing that happened there well let me give you an example sure Uh, this is this is a just a i just think it's an amazing story because i was part of it so i did some work for this uh this company out in eastern canada that that were in the boat selling business so their business was selling boats to dealers Right. And they gave me a call and said, can you come in and, and help us uh, create a strategy? So the reason they did that is I had to develop my own strategic game planning process, sure. which is literally in 48 hours, you have a strategy, which is completely unlike what anybody else does, right? It goes six or seven months and costs billions. Of anyway, so I go back there and put this together. We, we reach the part of the, the process where we have to create an only statement. Okay, because that's part of the process. Forget about what you've done. You got to be unique Mm -hmm. in something that your customers care about. That's the whole purpose behind only. And we worked through it, worked through it. And they they finally said to me, look at we sell boats. There's a lot of people that sell boats, Roy. 
we're not particularly special in that. And I said, well, okay, you're looking at it wrong. Okay. Tell me what the boat dealers really desire. Mm-hmm. What do they really want? What keeps them up at night? You know, and don't tell me it's boats that float. Okay. <laughs> Cause everybody expects a boat to float. <laughs> so we talked through this and discovered that what the boat dealers craved, what kept mm-hmm. them awake at night was being able to grow their business. Right. Nothing to do with boats. So I said, okay, why don't we play with the idea of trying to create a unique capability around helping your target customer, the dealers, grow their business? Mm-hmm. And they went, huh, yeah, we could do that. So here's the only statement we came up with. This company, quote, is the only complete service partner, not seller, committed mm-hmm. to delivering solutions to grow a boat dealer's business. So what we did is we created an only statement around what they had to be in order to grow as opposed to what they were. What they were, were flogging boats. What they had to be was was an instrument of growth for their customers. And and when when we landed on that, Gary, Mm -hmm. the surprise and aha, just they went through the roof. And Mm -hmm. it is so cool because they're the only one in in the market doing that and the boat dealers around them or the boat sellers are kind of going, what mm-hmm. are they doing? Right. But that's an example of how powerful this can be. And, and it it's kind of like an experience I get from working with most small businesses that, that ask me to give them a hand. Yeah, because I can see that because, I mean, I mean, we're not living in the 1970s or 60s anymore where there was a great differential in product quality, right? I remember, I mean, I I think we're probably close to the same age in terms of experience and decades and things. So we won't go there, but we'll just assume you were around in the 60s (laughs) and 70s. And if things were bought from a certain country, you knew they weren't going to be as good a quality. You know, these days, everything's good, no matter the, the country of origin, right? You buy it from China, Taiwan, Vietnam, or whatever, the quality is going to be excellent in most cases. If you want to buy a hat, you go on Amazon, you don't even care where it comes from, you just want to deliver it. So if you're a hat retailer, you got to find a way to differentiate yourself other than that. And literally in photography, it's the same thing, you know, a camera is a camera, a camera. How are you going to build that business around understanding your customer and finding and growing their business. Well, look at, there's a couple of points in this. First thing is I find that most businesses don't spend enough time defining who they want to serve. Look at my strategy building process is how big do you want to be? Which is a statement of saying in 24 months, what do you want your top line to be? Mm -hmm. My process is different. It starts out with numbers. Numbers drives the strategy, which kind Mm -hmm. of makes sense to me. Second question is, where are you going to get the money? That's who you're going to serve, okay? That's a really important piece, trying to get clarity around the target customers you've got and what they crave. So Mm -hmm. it's not just a matter of picking the segments. It's doing a deep dive and say, what do they crave? Why is that important? Well, it's important because when we start to develop the only statement, which is your competitive advantage claim, Mm -hmm. we play to, to those cravings, not what they need. Right. The cravings market is not price sensitive. The cravings market doesn't have any competition. Duh, what's the conclusion? Gee, I think we should be in the cravings business. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. It's nothing to do with products, nothing to do with products. And product quality, the assumption is everything works. Right. Now, what are you going to compete on? Don't talk to me about product quality. I don't care because it doesn't matter. What I care about is what are you going to wrap that around with? What kind of passionate envelope are you going to present to people 
mm-hmm. when they show up at your door, either online or, or offline. Don't give them an FAQ that never relates to what they're really interested in. Right. And yet, it's all over the place, all yeah. over the place. And it, you know what? It, it upsets me. Mm-hmm. It, ups- it upsets me. Well, you're me. a passionate guy. I can see that. <laughs> No, it's just unfortunate. You know, the people are being led astray. I I call it textbook thinking. Okay. Right. Okay. Like we, you were talking about total quality management a few, a few minutes ago, you know, do it right the first time, Mm -hmm. right. Get the product quality, right. Meeting specifications. I got news for you. Nobody cares about that in a competitive world anymore, unless Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. If it doesn't work that way, they're gone. But if it does, you get a C on your report card. Right. You don't get an A. They're not loyal to you because the internet stream works. Right. They're loyal to you because of the other things that you do right. for them. It appeals to the right side of the brain, not the left. Getting back to that audacious word, you have a you have a concept you like you you use called audacious leadership. Uh, can you talk about like the four main pieces of that after you define it? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, audacious leadership is all about creating new boxes, okay? Mm-hmm. It okay. starts out with the notion that says, I gotta find a way to create a new box. Not not, not just think outside the box, it's right. actually execute in new boxes. So part of it is, is starts out there with that sort of mindset. Um, secondly, you have to really accept that pain is going to be your buddy, your entire life as a leader. Right. You're, you choose to go down that route, you're gonna, you're gonna have pain. The third thing I would say is you need to keep it simple. Audaciousness is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of, it's kind of it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's not complicated. Audacious is actually stepping out of complexity and entering the world of of simplicity in a way that lights fires in people. And you, as a leader, have to discover that. And the only way you can do that is you have to embed yourself in the front line. Mm-hmm. I mean, I spent probably forty percent of my week embedded in the front line in my organization. I mm-hmm. call it leadership by serving around, not managing around. Right. And the whole idea was, how can I help, Gary? What's going on? Mm-hmm. How can I help? Now, it wasn't just a cool thing to do. The whole thing was based on, if I can help you, you will perform better, and my my billion is coming closer. Right. So the whole thing was, re- was related to execution, right? Right. So simplicity, think, think of new boxes. Look at get an advocacy army. You need an army of advocates for what you're doing here because you're going to be on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people will hope you 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 fail because you're trying to do something really, really yeah. Really some different. people don't like change, right? So oh, they are gonna they, throw up some roadblocks here and there. Well, it's a it's a fear thing, you know. And 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 so what I discovered was the more success we had and the more we communicated that, the less fear people had around us over what we were doing. So that's really, really important. But look at if you're trying new things, just to do new things. If you're trying to be different, just to be different. Look at people see through that and and they will will correctly tag you as being intellectually dishonest, Mm -hmm. right? And a phony. Mm -hmm. And that's not what this is. I mean, I, I, I remember when we were going through this, I mean, there would be nights that I'd be up at two o'clock in the morning with this stuff just running through my veins. I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. I can't sleep. I've got some stuff that I got to get out because I know the next day we've got a results meeting and and we're going to have a tough time because they were dipping a bit and I got a bunch of. It's just like this thing. It's not. It's it, this isn't this isn't about work balance. 
Right. And for those out there that believe work balance is the way to succeed, never worked for me. I'm not saying it's you're wrong, but I'm saying, hey, this is a guy that got a billion in, 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 in annual sales. Never worked for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't balance my life to get a billion. So again, what are some of the things I... When someone when you say outside the box, I mean there the, you still got to be sort of in the in the playground, right? Because I mean you always have things like the classic examples of, you know, Adidas tried to get into cologne because they thought their brand would extend to personal care products, right? So I mean there's there's clearly a limit to some of this stuff, right? Well, first of all, I want to go back. Okay, let's 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 not fuss with this at a tactical level. Hmm. My first question to you is, okay, who are you trying to serve? Right, and what do they crave? Right. I'm not willing to have a conversation unless I clearly understand that. And right. the reason for that is I'm just going to give you a bunch of mumbo jumbo textbook stuff right. at a tactical level. Okay. I'm right. not going to do it. It's like people keep saying, Roy, what do you think of my social media strategy? Mm -hmm. And I keep saying, I have no idea. No, mm -hmm. no, none. What, what are you trying to achieve? Right. Let me understand that. And then I'll give you an opinion. So it all depends. Mm -hmm. I would say categorically, that if your stupid idea, quote unquote, mm -hmm. resonates with the cravings of your target market, then it's a great idea. Do it. Right. If right. it doesn't, don't be a fool. Mm -hmm. This isn't a matter of innovating for innovative innovation's sake, Gary. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. Who do you who do you want to serve? What do they crave? Mm -hmm. Talk to me. Once yeah. I understand that, and then you show me how your silly idea relates to that, then we can have a conversation. And okay. by the way, my friend, that piece is missing in conversations these days. Mm -hmm. It is totally missing. Mm -hmm. But there are some examples, and I don't know whether they went through this. I got there are some examples that, that come to my mind of what I would call contrarian entrepreneurs. Okay. Good. One is the uh the heart attack grill in Las Vegas. Yep. Now, heart attack grill is not only audacious, they're a very unhealthy place to go to, mm -hmm. and it's strategic. I mean, they they sell triple bypass burgers and 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 their restaurants. Okay, their their servers are are dressed as doctors and nurses and mm. orderlies and and you know if you're over three hundred and fifty pounds, you can eat for free and like they have just check it out. They are they are off the chart audacious, mm. right? right? But they've chosen a particular strategy. All right, mm. that resonates with a certain segment of the population. Right, and they're going at it. Uber's another one. They reinvented the taxi industry. Okay. Airbnb mm -hmm. is another one. They totally distorted, right? And disrupted, mm -hmm. right? The vacation club property business. I'm assuming that they had a target market and cravings in mind. They may mm -hmm. not have in my language, but pretty close because right. it resonated. Mm -hmm. It really resonated with people. So that's the challenge. So mm -hmm. if you're a small business, just getting in, into business, do the due diligence on your target market. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's hard work, okay? Because you'd yeah. rather flog your product, right? Yeah. You'd rather take your product and go sell it. Well, this is not a selling business. Mm -hmm. This right. is a convincing business because it's the right. demand side of the equation, right? Right. And I find it, um, it, it's just hard work and people don't seem to want to do it. Mm -hmm. And yet they're willing to throw a lot of money at this, Gary. And they mm -hmm. wonder why they're part of the casualties of a new business because they're dead in 36 months. I can tell you why. They mm -hmm. haven't done the hard work up front. You need to do the hard work up front. Well, and that's sort of the idea that, you know, the mass market is gone, right? The mass wow. market is not even in play anymore. And if it is, it's consumed by players. You can't, you know, like Amazon and want to let them deal with the mass market. 
Well, look, at if you've got scale economies, economies of scale and scope, then you can talk volume a certain way because it plays into your strength. Most of us mortals don't have that ability. Right. Okay, so I say to you mortals, get real clear mm -hmm. on who you want to serve. I know mm -hmm. I'm being repetitive, but I sure, no, 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 but who it's, you but want it's to important serve. to kind of hammer it home because I see this all the time in <laughs> my industry, right? Where they're trying yeah. to, you know, they want to compete against the eight cent prints against that person. And so I yeah. let that people, those aren't your people, let them go. Well, exactly. And and one of the reasons that 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 my process starts out with how big do you want to be is because the who to serve piece, which is the target markets, is actually created by answering the question, which target customer groups have the latent potential to deliver my how big? Right. So it's all linked. And so right. if if you've missed that, and it's possible, I mean, right. if you've missed it, then, you know, you have to kind of like uh, revise it on, on the run and so forth. But that's okay. The strategic game plan in my world is a draft, Gary. Mm -hmm. It's never right. It's never perfect. All right. It's an organic uh, entity that mm -hmm. needs to be, you know, uh, revised on right. the run. Right. But if you're not clear on that one question, you're in trouble. Well, and the reality is, is, you know, because um, I've run into this with people who want to address a certain niche market, you know, for example, and then that market's just not big enough to sustain a business. Right. You need to be able to adapt from that. You can't just commit that I'm going to only serve left handed photographers. Yeah. Right. And only because I'm going to make products that, you know, instead of sh shooting a shutter with the right hand, it's going to shoot with their left hand. Right. It's just, yeah. you know, part of the problem is, is the process that they're using. Right. OK, what they're doing is figuring out a strategy, executing it and then looking at the financials. That's the wrong way to go about it. Right. You start out with the numbers, right. you create the, the strategy, the, big, the, large, the, the, the market, right? The, the decisions you make are all based on how big do you want to be in 24 months, by the right. way, because I don't, five-year plans are a waste of time because right. they never, the fourth never, year never shows up. As well. <laughs> it just doesn't. And it gives you permission to put everything off until the fourth and fifth year. Right. But if you're sitting at a million bucks and you just, you say, okay, I want to be five. Right. So your how big question is, I'm going to grow my business from one to five. The next question, who are you going to serve to get there? Basically says, all right, the challenge now is to identify the customer groups that have the latent potential to give me the right. extra money. Right. No, and th those are the people you serve. So your comment about mass markets is absolutely right. This whole process to growth has got dick all to do with mass markets for most of us, unless right. you're into scale and scope economies. Once you get that through your head, Magic happens because you get really succinct, you get granular, you get focused, and that enables execution, and you start to grow beyond your wildest dreams, guaranteed. How do I know that? Because I did it. Mm -hmm. So where can people go to get more information about your process and what you do? Yeah, sure. I have a website, uh, bedifferentorbedead.com, so please come and visit me there. I blog every week, mm -hmm. uh, and I've been blogging on Be Different or Be Dead and the whole stuff that you and I have just talked about Gary since 2009 so there's a ton of content out there you can look up my strategic game plan you can look up killing dumb rules you can look up cutting the crap you can look up hiring for goosebumps you can look up line of sight management and all like those sorts of things that that I had the opportunity to do you can also find out my books I've written seven books the latest one is audacious unheard of ways I took a startup to a billion so that's available mm -hmm. and I have an email it's roy.osing at gmail.com and and 
please email me. I love to have a conversation with anybody on this sort of stuff. And you know, it's really kind of cool because I get people sending me an email saying, Roy, I just drafted my only statement. What do you think? (laughs) And do they share them with you? Absolutely. And we go back and forth and I give them a perspective and et cetera. So, I mean, I guess the only way I can handle this to make a difference is kind of like engage one at a time or I love these conversations, by the way. It's just so much of an opportunity to hopefully make a difference and get people to shift off the inertia that that is and the momentum that's so strong out there in terms of doing things the old ways. Yeah. There's a lot of barnacles out there that need to be shaken off. Yeah, yeah. To going going back to your boat analogy. See, I was going back to that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right, Ray. Listen, it's great to meet you. Looking forward to uh, emailing you in the future and checking out awesome. your books. And thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.